Welcome to the Working Together Podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Morales, thinker, maker, doer behind Working Together, a burgeoning hub of can-do and know-how, inspired to explore who we are and how we can work together better. I'm fascinated by all the ingredients that you need to really make something happen, to really engage a system and the groups of people within it. And so, on this podcast, you'll hear a lot of stories from folks who've made interesting things happen. Their trials and tribulations, their reflections, their lessons learned, and the actionable advice that they have to share. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I do. In this episode, I talk with myself. And it's a special New Year's type episode where uh, where I come at this question about uh, how, how you can make resolutions that stick or goals that stick or or kind of uh, achievements that you're striving towards how, how do you how do you make those targets that you set for yourself stick um, and so we're going to be exploring that a lot in this episode and there's really kind of three chunks to go through in this episode it's kind of a bit of a doozy there's lots to go through here so I would suggest kind of taking it in bite sizes um, and uh, and there will be music interludes, and so that's a good time to kind of take a take a moment to reflect, uh, as these these aren't really meant to be something that you just kind of um, listen to and then kind of move on. Uh, they're meant to be exercises that you drill down and kind of do the work on. So, with that in mind, let's begin. How do you make your resolutions stick? Do you ever go through a burst of inspiration and motivation where everything seems to click and you see exactly what you need to do to attain your goals? You sit down, crack open your journal, put everything together and write out your game plan. With your intentions set and your plan sketched out, you confidently venture forth into the future. Then, a few months later, after you've accomplished your biggest goals... You live the dream, right? Eh, not so much. A couple of weeks after that burst of motivation, maybe a month later if you're lucky, you start to falter. If there was a routine involved, and there usually is, you might miss a day here or there at first. Eventually, though, a few missed days morph into a week and then a month. And slowly but surely, you get completely derailed from your original plan. Does this sound familiar to you? It does to me. Every year during the week between Christmas and New Year's, I find myself reflecting on the past year and planning the next one. We just came through that week, just uh, last week is when that was. And I don't know if you guys could tell this, but to me, it it always feels like inspiration and motivation is in the air. It seems like everybody's kind of thinking about uh, what happened in the past year and what they want to set their intentions for for the next year. It's in the air. So during those times, I crack the journal and set some solid intentions and venture forth into my new, supposedly bright future. And lo and behold, a few weeks later, Maybe a month or two if I'm lucky, I find myself completely off track. 
And then I find myself asking questions like what happened to my motivation or why can't I achieve my goals anyways? What's, what's wrong with me? Or maybe more specific, like how do I firmly establish new habits and routines to take the actions I know I need to take? How do I put those things into practice and schedule them or, or cue them up? How do I become more self-disciplined? How do I use my willpower more? This sort of thing. So over the years, I've experimented with a number of approaches to this conundrum. And today I'd like to put them all together for you into a system that you can try out when the motivation strikes you. And in the days that follow from this flash of insight. Whether that time is at the start of the new year, your birthday, at a major life transition, or whatever, it doesn't matter. It can be at any time in the year. I'm just putting this out there now because, as I said, it's in the air. I, for one, aim to crack the spine on these pages of my journal every quarter. It's something I did in a haphazard way in past years, but this year I want to kind of more intentionally do it every quarter because I think that work of returning to this stuff keeps my thinking fresh and more adaptive to life's varied circumstances. That being said, some of the exercises that I'll show you today on the show are special and shouldn't really be repeated mechanically. You shouldn't really schedule them in. You should kind of allow yourself to um, encounter that moment, so to speak. And you'll see what I'm talking about when we get into it. So why do all of this? It seems very self-centered. How does this tie in with the challenges of working together and solving problems with groups of people? Well, aside from your own mental clarity that comes with the work of reflection and planning, there is also power. And I'm going to quote here Josh Kaufman from The Personal MBA, which is an excellent book, a reference book to pick up. Quote, If you don't have a plan, your actions will be determined by someone else. By refusing to make the effort to move in the direction you think is best... You're ceding power to those who do have plans. So having a plan doesn't mean that you are calculated and manipulative, but it does mean that you are venturing forth into your day from a place of power. Just like Carlos Castaneda described his tortured experiences finding his spot on Don Juan's porch at the start of his initiation This set of sessions that you're going to go through in this show will help you work outwards from a place of power and strength, which is another way of saying from a place where you are not weak and fatigued. Coming at your life and work from a neutral or strong position gives you calm and purposeful strategy and tactics, as opposed to stressful and chaotic, hair-on-fire busy work. And this is essential for moving the dial on the work that we were put on this planet to do. So, I'm going to begin with a few suggestions or ground rules, if you may. Um, and also a few uh, things to note. So, first off, 
I structure these reflection slash visioning sessions along the lines of David Allen's Horizons of Focus. So listeners who are familiar with his approach will hear an affinity in how things are broken out. Listeners who are unfamiliar with this should have a look at his stuff and uh, and compare. And obviously this uh, all the information and resources mentioned in the show is is in the uh, is in the show notes so you can you can do that. You'll find the links there. And these resources were also discussed in a series of blog posts, which I'll also link to in the show notes, which are essentially uh, everything you're hearing now, but in written format. So there you go. Second, uh, try not to do all of these sessions at once. Um, you come back to this podcast and listen to parts of it um, when you get the chance. Uh especially if you can spread it out over a few days, that's best. Because if you sleep on it, um, you gain more insight into your work. And this is actually kind of scientifically proven now that, uh, that you do, that you do get, um, a, a better picture of, of the problems or the, um, projects and plans and things like this that you're thinking about and mulling over in the day uh, after you've slept on it and wake up the next day and return to it again. So try to do that. Try try not to do this all in one go. And really, I don't think you can because there's a lot here. Um, another suggestion. Uh, don't take it too seriously. Um, the part that really matters is is in the meaning of all of this for you there's there's a lot of an adultness to goal setting and resolution making and whatnot and i I really want to try to maintain some type of childlike innocence in relationship to all this a kind of vibe that you get when um, you think back to when you were a kid and somebody asked you what you wanted to be when you were older, and you said with great excitement that you wanted to be a fireman or an astronaut or whatever it might be. That's the kind of that's the kind of place that we need to return to, especially in the in the first session here. So let's let's go into that. Let's do the first session. <laughs> So this is, this is session one, which I called the deep dive. And it's basically you kind of going into your purpose and your principles, um, uh, your vision, uh, and your goals and fears around all that you, all that you do and all that you want to do in the future. So it's, it's kind of, um, meant to be that. Uh, and then in the second session, we get more detailed. And then in the third session, even more detailed and strategic, actually. So I'll just start it out right here. 
So part one, <clears throat> why are you here? Let's be honest. Wading through productivity books like David Allen's Getting Things Done is boring. Better stated, it feels like an incredibly adult thing to do. If you don't normally read these kind of books, you might find yourself thinking, Hey, look at me, reading about getting my shit together. I'm being so responsible right now. Whether it's imposter syndrome or just your inner child trying to give you a few slaps across the face, I agree with David White when he calls this sentiment false maturity. And then here I'll quote David at length because it's a great quote. And this is from his book, The Three Marriages, um, which is a fantastic read. I highly recommend you you check that out. Basically about the three marriages between your your work life, your love life, and your kind of creative self-purpose life, if that makes any sense. Okay, so anyways, here's the quote. In my early years, I had looked around at the strange world of adults and saw with a kind of horror that almost all of them seemed to be preoccupied with the details of life in such a way that they had lost sight of the greater picture. Adults seemed to have forgotten basic, elemental, and joyful relationships with clouds or horizons or grass that seemed necessary to be a full participant in the creation I saw around me. This form of false maturity, this slow forgetting, was late in coming to me, but I had fallen for it at last, and it was now beginning to smother me. And then he goes on about some more contextual things, which I didn't quote here. He says, in fact, my whole approach to work had become commoditized. No longer a pursuit, but a kind of defensive stasis. Things bargained back and forth at the outer edge, with very little transacting at the center. In my reverie over the page, I remembered the years of hard slog and sciences that got me to the Galapagos. And in particular, I remembered a marine zoology professor at Bangor University in Wales, who had looked at me in horror when I told him I had taken up diving. He almost, sorry, <clears throat> he thought it quite touching, but almost unsporting to actually go down there and see the living version of things he saw mostly under a microscope. I had walked away shaking my head, laughing to myself. But in my recent approach to work, I was fast becoming a newly minted version of him. In this moment, David was struggling to rediscover the very reason for why he became a marine zoologist in the first place. And I'm sure some of you who are listening right now have all found yourself in that same boat at some point in your careers, especially if you're further along in them than us young folk. Uh, but I've, I've found myself there too. And I'm in my mid-30s now. I guess I'm not so young anymore, am I? I don't know. It's all relative. Anyways, you find yourself sitting there going, why, you know, how is it that I came to here where I'm, you know, doing these, uh, these report outs and status updates and paperwork around this thing or, you know, you know, what I mean, there's, there's so much, uh, there's so much blandness that can come into your work, even if it's in a path that you set out to do and that you were inspired to do from the beginning. So one more little bit here from David, quote, 
I started to get close to something at the very heart of what had brought me into the field in the first place, something that had been of overwhelming importance to me as a young boy, a visceral sense of empathy with creatures and worlds that were not my own. So for him, it was all about a kind of childhood wonder about other creatures. And in many ways, childhood wonder and where you were at when you were a kid is fundamental to this to this first part here of determining why you are here. Why 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 are you here? What is your purpose? What what are you doing? Um so getting clear on your purpose and your core values and principles can be impeded by this false maturity that we might unconsciously kind of slip into. And unfortunately, the well-meaning work of productivity authors like David Allen and others, uh, any kind of business book that I can imagine, most of them, um, reinforces this mentality of false maturity. So, like David White, uncovering and clarifying one's purpose requires you to dive deep. You have to do this kind of work before you can appreciate the meaning of the benchtop work you will later do with finer instruments and dead specimens. This kind of work requires your childhood wonder and naive purpose. Psychedelics help for much of what will go on in the first session. But if you're in your dad years like me, the occasional derive or flannerie works too, aided of course by a few drams of whiskey and a good companion. I won't go into those two terms, but let's just say um, kind of uh, walking, just just perambulating, walking around the city, thinking, experiencing the city, experiencing the place, the countryside, whatnot, uh, without direction, without purpose. Um, anyways, there's a lot more to it than that, obviously, but I go on. So here are some basic questions to start you off in this, uh, in this part here about kind of finding your purpose. Why am I here? Why am I here? What's, what's the reason? Why? What do I think the reason is? What are the values and principles of my work? What am I doing? Sorry. why am I doing what I am doing? What was I put on this earth to do? You've only got one shot, right? So what were you put on this earth to do? These are basically just variations on the same theme, right? In what way am I living in alignment with my values and principles? And how am I unaligned? How long... Can I go on without bringing these elements of my life and work back into alignment? And so on. Get more detailed on the questions. Drill deeper. um, Figure out better questions than I did. Walk. Journal. Repeat. That one is, you know, that one's very... uh, it's, It's actually very fun to do. If you, if you actually do go out and have a walk and think on this stuff, um, and then come back to a journal and write it down and maybe go out again, uh, sleep on it, obviously, um, 
and it also aligns nicely with with this second part and the third part as well. I think all these these first three parts work well together. So part two, where are you headed? Imagine a future where you are living and working in alignment with your purpose and your core values and beliefs. Continuing on the psychedelic theme, think of this as a vision quest. All of your senses should be employed. Remember, you are looking for a future where things transact at your center, your heart. So don't just write it down. Close your eyes and imagine it. Try to understand what it tastes like, feels like, looks like, and sounds like, and so on. Go to a place that shares an affinity with this vision. Whether you have some sort of vision of you living, or for, for myself, for instance, I've always had this vision of me living on kind of almost a cliff's edge, like a house in a forest near a cliff's edge. Um, and so maybe what I need to do is is kind of go to a place like that to think on this vision uh, and to try and uh, experience it more richly. Or maybe you imagine, you know, you imagine yourself uh, living and working in the bustle of, of a city center. So maybe the next time you're on a vacation and you're in a big, big city, or maybe you live in a big, big city, go to the heart of it and, and, and kind of feel that, that intense pulse. Whatever it might be, try to go to a place that somehow embodies this vision that you have for your future. And again, this is where the walking plays in. Here are some questions you can ask yourself in this part here. So, what is my vision for the future? There's one. It's very obvious. What does this future look and feel like? What does successful implementation look like? So this is aligned with, you know, some of the, some of the bigger purpose questions that you feel are things you need to accomplish. So what would it look like if you implemented those things that you want to accomplish? What is my ideal work-life scenario? And so on. In the 4-Hour Workweek, Tim Ferriss writes about dreamlining, and he has some helpful templates online to help you do it too. Um, you can drill down and determine your target monthly income as part of this exercise, but I would kind of, I would keep that more uh, to part three, which we'll get to right now. I wouldn't get into that much detail uh, on a kind of vision quest walk. Um, that'll just be, that'll be too hard. Um, so for now... Stay high level with some of uh, his prompts. And so here's, here's some of the questions from his book. What will you do if there were no way you could fail? If you were 10 times smarter than the rest of the world? What are the four dreams that would change it all? And so on. There's more in the book, but I'm just putting a couple in here. Uh, that are that are um, that are uh, easily uncontextualizable from the actual book itself, but definitely a great read uh, at this time of year, at any time of year, but at this time of year, especially when when resolutions and things like this are in the air, definitely a good place to go to to uh, yeah to start thinking about a different approach 
to your life and how you plan things out and whatnot. So yes, definitely check out the four hour work week. Part three, what am I trying to achieve? What am I trying to avoid? So in part one, um, I didn't really use the word purpose in the title there. I wanted to just keep it pretty existential. Why are you here? Uh, in part two, um, where are you headed? Like where, where are you going? Where do you think you're headed in the future? And then part three, in, in, in that mixture of things, what am I trying to achieve and what am I trying to avoid? So I'll describe this a bit more and depending on what I've written, I will talk a little bit more about Vipassana, which I think is key for this. Um, so goals describe the destination. Objectives are a measure of the progress needed to get there. Also, don't focus on too many goals. You don't want to have a ton. Just, you know, 10 or under. 10 is already a ton, I think. Um, so keep the number of your current working goals small and try framing them in a positive, immediate, concrete, specific format. And so this is from this is from Josh Kaufman's uh, personal MBA here. And uh, he says... Positive refers to motivation. Your goal should be something you move toward, not away from. Goals like, I don't want to be fat anymore, are a recipe for threat lockdown. And I, I'm not making fun. I I often say that to myself sometimes in my head, in that voice. Anyways, uh, so recipe for threat lockdown. You're reinforcing the negative instead of using reinterpretation to change your mind's prediction, to get excited about improving. For best results, eliminate conflicts first, then move toward what you want to achieve. Immediate refers to time scale. Your goals should be things that you decide to make progress on now, not someday or eventually. If you don't want to commit to working on a particular goal now, put it on your someday maybe list. Concrete means you're able to see the results in the real world. Goals are achievements. You should know when you've accomplished what you set out to achieve. Setting goals like, I want to be happy, won't work because they're not concrete. How would you know when you're done? How would you in that example? It's, it's, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> when you reach the top of Mount Everest, you've achieved something concrete in the real world. That's concrete. Specific means you're able to define exactly what, when, and where you're going to achieve your goal. Climbing Mount Everest on a certain date in the near future is specific, which makes it easy for your mind to plan exactly how you'll go about accomplishing it. And this, uh, this pick stuff, this is actually, it's kind of hard. I'm, I'm working through all of this right now, uh, because it's in the air, as I said earlier. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's, it's tough, it's tough, but it's, it's important to do. So, and then finally, set some fears. And then I have uh, a clip on the uh, blog post that you can watch uh, of Tim Ferriss kind of describing how to do this, this fear setting. Um, and fear setting is an important counterbalance to goal setting. Because let's face it, we can be as positive as we want with our pick schools. Beneath our conscious rationalization of all things happy is a deep and murky sea of fear. 
So as I recall from my post-structuralist studies of Deleuze and Guattari uh, back in the day, um, and so that is me referencing this book called Anti-Oedipus, which is a real romp if you are in the mood for some uh, kind of intense, uh, strange, and deep philosophical work. Um, uh, if you like reading that sort of thing, I, I recommend checking it out. Particularly the first chapter is kind of an incredible what thing that uh, that actually takes you to some funny places. Um, uh, but in that book, he tries to basically, or sorry, they try to blend, uh, you know, Nietzsche, uh, um, Freud, and Marx, if I recall correctly. It's been almost a decade since I read that thing. And they talk about things like desiring production and uh, and do so in a very uh, kind of funny way, interesting way, and a complex way. Uh, and uh, so, as I recall from reading books like that and training in Vipassana meditation around that time, desire is a two-way street. There's your desire to attain what you want, and there's your desire to avoid what you don't. And the latter desire is often so potent, so the the, the desire of uh, avoidance, you know, I desire to avoid this thing, I'm afraid of this thing, that latter desire is often so potent that we, quote, don't even want to go there. I don't know if you've heard friends or, or if you've gotten kind of... Uh, really deep into an argument with your partner or something. And I just don't, I don't even want to go there or something. Right. Um, so this latter desire is so potent sometimes that we don't even want to go there and never actually go deep on our fears. If you are afraid to even go there, you could start by asking yourself, what's the worst that can happen if I go deep on my fears? And guess what? You will have already started this fear setting work. Because really, all it's about is helping you see that the things that you're afraid of, um, that you haven't really thought about because your your mind is either consciously or subconsciously just avoiding the subject. Uh, but as soon as you kind of go there, put your lens of focus on it and begin to unpack it, you see that uh, it's not as bad as I thought it was. And even if there are bad elements to it, I can have a game plan for for recovering at the end of it. So, fear setting, as Tim Ferriss does and suggests doing, is a great thing to do in conjunction with goal setting and uh, thinking about your objectives and whatnot. So, again, with the questions. What do you want and need to accomplish within the next six months, the next year or two or three, to achieve your vision? What concrete or specific achievement are you trying to move toward? What does failure look like and taste like? How bad can it be? And so on. So that's that's session one there. And I call it session one because I think, honestly, you could pack it into, you know, a, a walk. You go for a walk, maybe with a friend, maybe alone, um, your journal under your arm, and you go and you just, you think on some of these things. You think on some of these questions. You come up with some of your own questions. 
maybe you sit down while you're on your walk somewhere, grab a coffee somewhere, uh, and then pound out a few draft notes, keep walking, and so on. Either way, at the end of the walk, and the end of kind of a little brief writing session, you've got a, a rough outline of these kind of high-level reasons for why you why you are doing the work that you're doing, why you're living the life you're living on this planet Earth. And from that, we go forth to session two. Okay, so uh, we're back again here with uh, Resolutions That Stick. This is the second session, uh, which I've called uh, The Nitty Gritty. Back in the first session, we've, we dove deep on purpose, principles, vision, goals, fears, all that kind of stuff. And uh, we had a little walk while we did it. And a little talk with our notebook or with a companion or something like this. Either way, we externalized it in some way, which is key. And now we're going to get a little deeper. And in session two, um, this isn't kind of really a session. This isn't the same as session one. This session is spread out. Uh, it will take uh, multiple different kind of encounters over over the next few days or weeks because... As you'll see, it gets fairly detailed, and you're not going to be thinking on every single possible thing that you have on your plate um, in one sitting, uh, because uh, that's just really hard to do. And uh, sure, you can try, but uh, you know, some of us don't have the luxury of 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 taking a whole day to do that. So, or a whole morning, or afternoon, or however long it might take you, or maybe you're a superhuman person and you can do it in a few hours and that's great. So then, then it is a session for you, but for lowly mortals such as myself, it's spread out over a few days. So this is the second session of three, uh, as I stated in the beginning that will help you make resolutions that stick. 
um, where, where we are really coming at this question of how do we implement these big ideas and big commitments that we, that we might have drunkenly, uh, 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 blurted out at a party on New Year's Eve. I'm gonna, this next year's gonna be my time to do this, that kind of thing. Um, we're gonna try to like take that statement and, and, uh, and put it into action. So let's go onward here. So part four, what are my buckets? As I've said before, and when I say before, there's a little hyperlink that links to an article I wrote about a year ago uh, called Care, um, part of a series that is incomplete, that is getting completed uh, in the next few months. Um, uh, anyways, uh, so Care, uh, why, why Care? So check that article out uh, in the show notes. Um, so as I've said before, the only certainty that we have is that death can come swiftly and unexpectedly. The death is really planned, and so on. For those who don't plan and contemplate their suicide, the closest we may get to a plan is a gloomy prognosis from a doctor. As a result, you don't know if your purposeful work on this earth will be stopped short. Ultimately, some of your buckets will be filled with work that will remain unfinished when you die. Because of this, I think the term bucket list is wrongly used, because we don't know when we will die. Every list of projects, which we're going to get to in part five, and actions, again, we'll get to in part six, that we need or want to finish is part of a bucket list, i.e., as in, before I kick the bucket. The list of grand adventures, vacations, and accomplishments, and, and you know, all that kind of stuff, what we commonly uh, put into a bucket list and think of as our bucket list, um, actually belongs back up uh, with your visions and dreams in session one. So those big dreams, those big ideas, like, you know, I will go and do a bike tour across, um, you know, the ridges of the Andy Mountains, which is impossible, uh, I think. You wouldn't want to do that because you'd probably fall off either side and, and it's very dangerous. But anyways, an idea right there. Um, some, some sort of big trip or accomplishment or something like that. All that bucket list stuff goes there. Because you actually want to put your mind into a frame of thinking about, okay, as big as those things are, these things are actually things that I need to start planning and and thinking about accomplishing, not putting into a quote-unquote bucket list because it might never get touched in that bucket list. So I use the word buckets instead of um, containers or themes. Um or areas of focus and responsibility, as David Allen does, because I want the sense of urgency to be palpable. Everything, every category of projects and actions that you need or want to do must happen before you die. And David Allen barely gets at this existential anxiety 
when he defines areas of focus and responsibility as, quote, important spheres of work and life to be maintained at standards to keep the engines running. Okay, so this is confusing because the only thing keeping the engines running is our continued existence, not our areas of focus and responsibility. Everything else is the work, creation, effort, and so on that we want to complete before we stop existing, before we, quote, kick the bucket, as they say. Further still, by thinking of the good work that you need and want to do in terms of fuel, the implicit gasoline metaphor behind keep the engines running, your work is framed as feedstock that continuously powers an engine. There is no prioritization of what needs to be done, just feed the engine with a steady supply of busy work and go. And I'm being a little unfair here to David Allen because obviously he talks about prioritization, but in this metaphor here, it it makes you think about, okay, we're just kind of humming along here. Um, uh, but what, but what we're trying to get at with the, with the bucket metaphor, um, is, is something a little bit deeper and more existential and more kind of real. So by thinking of the spheres of your work and life as something that can and will end, um, you will invariably seek to find your greater purpose in all that you do, a.k.a. the meaning of your life. So I'm going to quote Viktor Frankl here uh, from Man's Search for Meaning because I just I read this book back when I was 16 or 17 or something like this, maybe 18, I don't know. And I, I was really floored by... Um, by it. And so here's a here's a great quote. So life ultimately means taking the responsibility to find the right answer to its problems and to fulfill the tasks which it constantly sets for each individual. These tasks and therefore the meaning of life differ from man to man and from moment to moment. Thus it is impossible to define the meaning of life in a general way. Questions about the meaning of life can never be answered by sweeping statements. Life does not mean something vague, but something very real and concrete, just as life's tasks are also very real and concrete. They form man's destiny, which is different and unique for each individual. No man and no destiny can be compared with any other man or destiny. Uh, no situation repeats itself, and each situation calls for a different response. Sometimes the situation in which a man finds himself may require him to shape his own fate by action. At other times, it is more advantageous for him to make use of an opportunity for contemplation and to realize assets in this way. Sometimes man may be required simply to accept fate to bear his cross. Every situation is distinguished by its uniqueness, and there is always one right answer to the problem posed by the situation at hand. Wow. So if you don't know the story behind Viktor Frankl's work, I suggest you definitely go pick up a copy of Man's Search for Meaning. I, I think it's on the list of 100 best books ever or whatever. Um, but essentially it's, it's part memoirs and reflections from his time in a concentration camp and part um, 
part uh, uh, kind of logical work through of his psychoanalytic approach, which I think he calls logotherapy, but don't quote me on that. And in that work, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of existential psychology in a sense, like it's coming at this, this question, which, which was live for him while he was in the camps, um, you know, which is how, how, how come some of us made it through this horrible experience while others didn't. And in his, in his reading of it, it was all around, you know, did, did you, did you still have in your mind and in your very kind of essence, an understanding of what your meaning or purpose was for living, what kept you going, that notion of keeping you going, um, is in fact for Victor Frankl, the meaning of life, the meaning of your life. Um, so he has all sorts of examples of people who, um, who kind of lost sight of that and eventually, uh, eventually died. Uh, very profound work. So definitely read that one. So with Frankel's fine words in mind, here's some questions about these buckets. So what are the important spheres of my work and life that I'm currently focused on? How is my destiny differentiated from where I stand today? Depending on where you are at in life, you might have so many things to do under one bucket that you should maybe think about splitting them up into a couple of buckets or three or whatever. At other times, it might be better not to define a bucket at all. So the point is, is that life is always changing, as you know, and so too are one's priorities, constraints, and opportunities. And how you compartmentalize and prioritize your work will change over time. What are some common themes that I notice in my work? And if you're having trouble defining what your buckets are, you can start with with projects that you're working on and, and actions that you have to do. Um, or you can go back to your goals, objectives, and fears and think about, you know, okay, so I have this goal to do this thing. Um, what... what uh, what are some of the big categories under that? There might be two or three or so, um, or it might be one or, or whatever. Uh, you can be sure that whatever these kind of buckets look like, they will have goals associated with them and projects and actions within them. But you also might identify some major buckets in your life that don't have goals associated with them and a lot of ongoing actions, and this is okay. It means basically that you're content with where you're at, with that kind of sphere of your life. Um, but if you aren't content, ask yourself, what do I wish to change? And why do I need to, what do I need to do? Sorry. And when do I want to start and end this good work? You might want to change something, but are comfortable deferring this work for some time. And that's fine. But don't leave it for too long. Come back to it because there's something there that's scratching at your psyche. So buckets. And to give you an example of some buckets that I have, I've got one that's like the podcast uh, for working together. I've got a bucket that um, is basically kind of marketing, uh, things like this. Those are buckets for working together for the bigger project. It's not the bigger project, the bigger 
the bigger set of goals and purposes and whatnot that, um, that working together is. So part five, what are my projects? So these are the outcomes that have to happen to achieve your goals, but they require a bunch of different actions, usually phased over a span of time. Project Management International's definition of a project is helpful here. Project is, quote, a temporary endeavor undertaken to create a unique product, service, or result, end quote. And they go on. A project is temporary, and then it has a defined beginning and end in time, and therefore defined scope and resources. And a project is unique, and then it is not a routine operation, but a specific set of operations designed to accomplish a singular goal. Many of us are familiar with projects. But to give you an example, I can have a project in my podcast bucket, for instance, that is geared towards finding and working with a curator, a co-curator, sorry, to develop a season of podcast episodes on a certain topic. Um, it might be, uh, you know, another project that I have in there, which is all about um, figuring out the best way to kind of engage audiences outside of the podcast, if there's a way to kind of do something with meetup groups or something like this. And that project is a little further in the future in my mind. But, you know, just different ways to think about utilizing the flipped classroom model, which is uh, something I won't go into here, but um, utilizing that to make your podcast uh, more engaging to listeners. So projects, they take... Uh, uh, a specific amount of time and coordination, and there's a bunch of different actions associated with them. For the kind of planning work that we are doing in these posts, I would suggest avoiding using actual project management tools because it'll kind of bog you down, and uh, that's it, it's too detailed for these exercises. I would save it for later if you need to, on, on the certain projects that you've identified that kind of require that level of accountability to external stakeholders or whatever, um, or your boss, etc., uh, etc. Et or maybe they're so important to you that you want that level of accountability for yourself, then go ahead, use those, use those tools, use those project management tools, use the Gantt charts and the, and the um, you know, six constraints and all this kind of stuff. It's all great. There's nothing wrong with it. Just for now, let's stay let's stay with a loose start. So with that in mind, I would uh, maybe mind map some of these projects in a notebook using some questions from David Allen's natural planning model, uh, which I'll link to in the show notes um, and also kind of reiterate at a high level here. So even if you don't actually mind map this, um, by the way, you are kind of either consciously or unconsciously doing this anyways. Um, so you're thinking about the purpose, the future, your ideas, how to kind of organize everything and what you think you're going to do next. It's just kind of how you approach a project. Like, uh, we're getting in the car to go on a vacation in a day. Okay. You know, why is this being done? Well, you know, because we're going to go visit my family. It's obvious. Um, 
in the future? What, what would it be like if we were totally successful and how would I know? Well, you know, we would, uh, we would catch the ferry on time. Um, if you're an Islander like me, uh, we'd have the car, uh, packed before we did that, obviously. Uh, you know, this is kind of how it would look like the car would be packed. We'd all be sitting in it. We'd be on time for the ferry. Uh, and then we would be heading over to family, uh, your ideas. So, you know, what are all the things that occur to me about this? What, what, what is the current reality? What do I know? What do I not know? What ought I consider? What haven't I considered? Etc. and so on. You know, <laughs> as you're loading the car, uh, pillows, right? Uh, what else? Hmm. Okay. Well, the kids are going to get hungry for a snack at some point. So we should make sure we have some snacks in the car and some water. But, you know, you just kind of, you're doing this anyways. Um, how to organize everything. So, what needs to happen to make this whole thing happen? So maybe a few days before you were like, oh, uh, we don't have another air mattress uh, for when we are camping. Um, so we need to make sure we get an air mattress in advance well before we go, either the day before uh, uh, or a few days before because we have to leave early in the morning or whatever. So you're already thinking about how to sequence certain things and certain steps, organizing it in your mind. And then what are you going to do next? Uh, so what should be done next and who will do it? And this is just kind of, you can be in the moment, like, oh, you know, we all get in the car, we've loaded it up and we know we're out of gas. So the next thing we do is we go and get gas. And then after we get gas, we keep going. It's, this is all just, this, this is what we're doing all the time. So this is why David Allen calls it the natural planning model. And I think it's a good approach to looking at your projects at a first glance. And like I said later, if you feel you need to, you can kind of go to those more um, more heavy-duty project management tools to really flesh out certain elements of it. So that's your projects. These are things that are in your buckets. These are the big sets and series of actions that are in your buckets. And the next, we're going to kind of drill down deeper in part six here and say to ourselves, what do I have to do? What are the actions that need to happen? So this is your to-do list, but it's also a bit more than that. Um, some of these actions are associated with a project. Uh, others are standalone. This is basically what you can do right now to get something done. To be sure that you've thought something through sufficiently enough to act on it, David Allen, again, argues that you need to be able to answer these three questions. What has to happen first? What does doing look like? And where does it happen? And in his reading of it, if you can't answer this, you have to kind of go back and rethink your work. You're actually not, you haven't gone through and thought about you know, kind of your projects or the things that you're doing in that kind of natural planning way, or you haven't tied in what you're doing to your bigger purposes and principles and things like this. And you'll, you'll see a theme here. So if you can't answer this, you have to go back and rethink. And I think David Allen is at his best when it comes to the concept of next actions. Here's David Allen, quote, identifying the next action runs neck and neck with defining the desired outcome in terms of generating value in a given situation. But if I had to choose between those two questions, and for him those two questions are, what's the next action? 
versus uh, what's the desired outcome. So if I had to choose between those two questions that would be the most effective in terms of increasing productivity, I'd unhesitatingly pick what's the next action. Why? Because I've seen too many people come up with a confident response to what they're trying to achieve, but have the whole effort falter because of a lack of clarity in what, specifically, to do about it. When, on the other hand, somebody takes the responsibility to determine the next action of a project, he will almost without fail begin to bump his focus upward and integrate that thinking into the higher levels of his commitments. What's the next step? Yeah, but in order to do that, we need to decide if... Oh yeah, and that brings up the key issue about whether we're actually going to... And so on and so on. So, grappling with the answer to that question occasionally surfaces very fertile issues at higher horizons. And for him, in his model, the horizons are basically our different parts that we've gone to. That often need to be dealt with, and often that's the only way we can actually start to identify and confront them. So, asking this question, what's the next action? For for David Allen is basically bringing us full circle again. So it seems that iteration is built into the process. For once we arrive at this finest level of detail here about our actions, we find ourselves going back to session one to refine and clarify further. So, since it bears repeating, the question to ask yourself under this part is, what's the next action? Okay, so if you've listened this far, you may find yourself saying, ah, this is all well and good, Mr. Morales, but it seems like a lot of work. How am I supposed to make any of this actually stick? How am I supposed to execute all this, especially when I am at my worst? Good question that I came up with for myself. Stay tuned, uh, and we'll be right back with session three, where we tackle these questions. Because for all the well-intentioned planning and personal organizing, the rubber hits the road in that moment when, after a heavy lunch, you sleepily stare at your computer screen, and if you're lucky, you ask yourself, should I check my Facebook notifications, or should I do what I know needs to be done? If you're unlucky, which is, I think, most of the time, you don't even think about your choice. You just find yourself on the other end of a distraction time warp, wondering how you got to 4 p.m. So, can you tell that I think afternoons suck? I mean, you're coming, you're just coming out of lunch. I mean, clearly, we need to have naps instituted worldwide in corporate culture, you know, whatever. Uh, Just so jealous of the solopreneurs. (laughs) Not that they, not that they take naps in the afternoon, but they can, they have the flexibility if if you're listening and you have that kind of flexibility in your life, you know just just know that there's a lot of uh, desk workers um, uh, pining after the ability to take a nap after lunch. So, anyways, here we go. We're gonna go into session three when we come back. No.
session the final session and i'll try to make it quick because really this is uh this is all about forming habits getting into routines and i'm going to be pointing you towards a resource that that will help you do that that uh that you can do uh right after you stop listening to this episode if you like so first off a few quotes to start it out this is session three all about creating the habit that sticks so mark twain habit is not to be flung out of the window by any man but coaxed downstairs a step at a time great quote another quote this is proust the fixity of habit is generally in direct proportion to its absurdity. And another one from Proust, which is a little deeper, I find, uh, quote, habit may be second nature, but it prevents us from knowing the real nature whose cruelties and enchantments it lacks. End quote. That one's, that one's pretty interesting. Um, so I'll come back and maybe integrate some of those into this. Um, but just to get you thinking about, about habit there, I thought I'd give you some literary quotes. <clears throat> so in this, in this last, uh, session, uh, again, this one is kind of one that you will, as you see, do over the span of a week. If you do this method, um, I kind of, uh, the, the purpose behind why I would want to do this is I'm asking myself, uh, you know, how, how can I effectively take action every day on these things that I, that I now know I have to do after having gone through all the, um, all the parts above in session one and session two, I now have a list of things that I'm, that are written down and I can see what I, what I need to accomplish to achieve my goals, to, live and work my life with purpose and so on. <clears throat> so how can I effectively do all of that without getting distracted, without wasting time, without, um, you know, doing it at the wrong time of day and so on. And a key aspect of this is not to rely on your willpower because Studies have recently shown that you only get so much of it in a day. And you can kind of deplete your willpower. Um, basically kind of interesting studies using um, using treats and things like this. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny stuff. But I'll, I'll link to that, uh, to that uh, resource in the show notes as well. Um, 
So instead, and this is coming back to Mark Twain's quote, uh, instead of um, relying on your willpower to do things entirely, you should save that up for the moments when you really need it. Um, You want to try to build tiny habits that can turn into routines, that can turn into bigger routines or bigger habits or, or more kind of uh, concrete or solid foundational habits and structure your days around when you are at your best and when you're at your worst. So there's a bit of self-knowledge involved here too. So let me talk a little bit about that self-knowledge piece and then we'll move on to the habit stuff. So the self-knowledge piece is key because you have to, you just have to know, you know, like I know that my afternoons are hard for whatever reason. I've always just had a, a hard time uh, in the afternoons. I, I find I get tired um, after lunch. Uh, but my mornings are awesome. So much so that I wake up pretty early in the morning. Right now it's actually it's 5.26 in the morning as I'm recording this. But I woke up this morning at 4. Some mornings I wake up as early as 3.30 Um, just because I find the mornings to be the best time for me to do work. Um, But afternoons have always been hard for me. So I try to schedule as many of my meetings and things like that in my afternoons as possible so that I can can use uh, the energy of a situation of a room of people to kind of keep me engaged and keep me going. But my mornings um, at work are fantastic. I get a lot done. I can focus, so on and so on. And then sometime around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I begin to come out of this this post-lunch fog. There's a few things that change that. For me, I I have the self-awareness to know that if I go to the gym at lunch, I'll have an easier time in the afternoon with with all of the stuff that I described. It kind of gives me an extra burst of energy for the rest of the day. So... There's ways that you can strategize around, you know, what your daily schedule looks and feels like. But either way, think about it. Think on that and think on where in the day are you most active and most activated and where do you where do you feel most comfortable being social? Where do you feel most comfortable doing some focused, deep work, as Cal Newport would call it? So... cold here as you can tell uh it's it's a it's a never-ending cold when you have kids anyway so here we go to the habits part so i've split it up into a couple of weeks here and that is because i want you to treat this first week as just a as a testing ground for this notion of tiny habits and I'll put a link in the show notes to that resource. It'll take you to BJ Fogg's website. And BJ Fogg will set you up for a week of practicing three tiny habits. So think back to your goals, buckets, projects, and actions. And on those actions that need to become a new habit, go micro. Break them down into the tiniest steps you could imagine. Do the tiny habits process that I talked about for one week, one week. The new habit or routine is less important than the cue and the reward. 
This is kind of what BJ's work is trying to get you to think about. To build every tiny habit and bigger routine around a cue. And this is kind of coming from Charles Duhigg's work as well. So a cue, this is the trigger for the behavior to start. Like walking in your front door or your alarm clock goes off or you're getting dressed, right? So there's so many examples of people who work out in the morning who have used this cue of getting out of bed and getting dressed to integrate a habit of working out by having them <clears throat> get out of bed and the option of, of clothing in front of you is, lo and behold, your workout gear. So you get dressed and you put that on and suddenly you're standing in the room wearing your workout gear and, uh, well, what are you going to do? May as well go to the gym, may as well go running, whatever. So a cue, a cue is key. <clears throat> and the routine, this is the actual behavior itself. Like sitting down to review your game plan for the day in the morning, uh, or your goals and things like this in the morning. Um, it's the actual thing that's, that's the new habit that you're trying to bring into existence, but it's actually not as important as the cue and the reward. And then the reward. So this is the benefit you get for doing the behavior, like having a little little bite of chocolate or uh, taking a sip of your fresh cup of coffee that you just uh, made or something, whatever it might be, just some little reward that you give yourself. Um, B.J. Fogg, uh, uh, in his uh, work, uh, if I recall correctly, he talks about kind of, you know, do a little kind of like, dance in your seat if you're by yourself because you just need to kind of show yourself that you're celebrating and if you see yourself celebrating then hey something good happened <laughs> so you're just trying to you're trying to fool yourself in this funny kind of way uh, but not also right because you are celebrating that you've accomplished this tiny little habit that you've done so do the tiny habits routine it's great it's great practice for actually thinking about how to create new habits because um, uh, contrary to the Mark Twain quote, you can't really coax your habits out of your life. You can only kind of re replace them. So rather than coaxing them down the stairs, you're actually trying to coax new habits upstairs to um, kind of uh, replace over time these bad habits or these uh, these habits that you don't like or whatever you want to call it, you want to eventually kind of replace those. So the second week, this is where we come back to that self-awareness piece. So for the new habits, routines, and actions that need to happen, I want you to pull out your calendar and draft up a plan for the next few weeks ahead with uh, with with your awareness about when you're best. So what time of day are you at your best for doing the deep, important work that pushes the envelope on your projects, buckets, goals, so on? Block this time out on your calendar. This is your most important time of every day and let nothing else into it. This is where you are to be uninterrupted in your work. Schedule in where you've queued up your tiny habits, your new routines, um, and your core actions for the projects you're working on. Try to schedule some of those in. 
and schedule in a chunk of time every week to review the bigger picture every week. <clears throat> schedule in a chunk of time every week to review this bigger picture every week. This is really hard, but it's important. And this is different than having kind of a daily habit around reviewing your goals or reviewing your projects or whatever it might be. I think that's a great habit to institute and to put into place. But this one's a little different. This one's, you know, you're actually trying to schedule in some time where you where you are assessing where you're at in this work um, of kind of habit creation uh, um, uh, and and as it relates to new actions around some of the goals that you've defined and things like this. So, so often our resolutions that we make at the end of the year are, you know, associated with some goal that just does not, it does not figure into our life in any way. It might, it might be a resolution that, that we have not, um, habitualized in any way whatsoever so it's totally new and so you need to slowly introduce this new um, series of actions or routines or whatever it is into your life um, bit by bit and this is why the tiny habits approach is is really helpful because it gets you uh, practiced in thinking about how you can do that how you can pull that off and this is how we make our resolutions stick is by is by thinking in tiny little amounts you know what what little cue here what i need to do to get me out the door to go to the gym if that's a resolution that you have for instance or what what little cue here would get me thinking about my goals my bigger goals for the for the for the next three months six months year whatever and what i need to do today to kind of move the dial on those what you know what little cue would get me sitting in front of my notebook to do that work and how would I reward myself if I did it at the end? Um, also, BJ calls them tiny because these tiny habits, they're just little things. So it's not actually going to the gym and having a full hour-long workout. It's putting on your gym shoes and doing one push-up and then rewarding yourself. Hey, I did one push-up. Awesome. It's that tiny, but it's important to start tiny to give yourself the success and to practice the routine of establishing habits to then move on to the bigger, the bigger um, resolutions and goals that you have. So this habit formation stuff and the self-awareness about where you are at your best every day, I think is fundamental for, for delivering on the resolutions and making them stick over the year. So with all of that, uh, please go forth into the world and I'll do a quick recap right now of what we went over and send you on your way. Okay, so what did we just, what did we just go over? Okay, so from the top, we went through a first session which involved a lot of walking and, and kind of um, exploring and, and vision questing, so to speak, right? And in that, you know, I asked you to really drill down on, you know, your purpose. Why are you here? What are the values and principles of your work? Why are you doing what you're doing? What were you put on this earth to do? So on and so on and so on. 
uh, and to go out for a walk and to think on that and to journal about it and, and to kind of refine that. I asked you to think about where you're headed, what your vision for the future is, um, and what uh, successful implementation looks like for your projects or for your goals or for whatever. What what does it look like if you've implemented your, your dreams, um, your ideal state in the future? And as part of that, to kind of think about the big dreams that you have um, and do the dreamlining work that, that Tim Ferriss outlines uh, in his book, The 4-Hour Workweek. In part three, I wanted you to go down and, and, and look at your goals and look at your objectives and actually your fears as well. So what are you trying to achieve is just important to answer as what am I trying to avoid? Because both of those um, are kind of fundamental to how we operate as human beings. Um, and we need to uncover both of them to realize, uh, hey, you know, sure, there's a lot of positive things that I'm moving towards that I'm trying to move towards. But also, there's all of these negative things that I've been avoiding thinking about that actually aren't as big and scary as they as they uh, they once were to me. And so that's why it's important. So within that, we talked about pick schools, getting, um, getting basically positive, immediate, concrete, and specific about your goals. Um, and we talked about the fear setting practices, uh, that Tim Ferriss, uh, uses. And in the show notes, again, there will be all these resources for you to look up and do. So that was, that was the first session, first session, walking, thinking, kind of fun. The second session is a little harder to do. So you should definitely kind of um, spread this one out over a number of different sittings as you're going to be touching on different areas of your life anyways. And you might find yourself planning something related to your work in one moment and then on another day thinking more about family matters. So within that, I got into the nitty gritty of, of how do we make all of these things stick. And I asked you to think about your buckets so what are all the kind of containers that, um, you know, th these projects and actions that you have to do to accomplish your goals, overcome your fears, uh, to reach your vision and to live your life's purpose? Uh, what are all the, what are all the nitty gritty things that you need to do? And those buckets kind of theme all of that work under a heading. Um, and I call them buckets because they're all bucket lists. They're all things that you need to do before you die. And you need to keep that top of mind because every day is another opportunity to die <laughs> and therefore also another opportunity to live your life to the fullest and to appreciate the life that you have and the, and the gift that you have in this life. So uh, we went on that topic quite a bit because I think it's important. And then uh, I went and talked about projects talked about defining the projects that you have within that and using David Allen's natural planning model to do your first kind of rough glance of what some of these projects are within these buckets. And all projects are essentially is a series of successive actions that need to happen uh, within a defined little uh, uh, time scale. So after that, we drilled down even deeper and looked at what are the actions that we need to accomplish and that question, what's the next action, will prompt you to either know exactly what the next action is or realize, oh, I don't quite know because 
I need to do this, or I need to do that, or this makes me think about this other thing over here that we haven't sorted out yet that has more to do with defining the purpose of what it is that we're doing. So I'm hiccuping here a little bit, so I'm going to try to <laughs> shield you from that as much as possible. Um, so what's the next action? That's key. Um, and after after doing session one and session two, we move into session three, which is all about habit formation and all about using the tiny habits methodology as a starting place to begin uh, understanding how this interrelationship between cues, routines, and rewards work and practicing how to create new habits, which in so many ways uh, you're going to be doing if you have resolutions or if you have new goals or big hairy goals um, that, uh, that you want to accomplish over the next little while. There's going to be a lot of new actions and new routines and things like this associated with that. And so you have to figure out how to best integrate those into your life and how to uh, coax them upstairs, so to speak. So the reverse of the Mark Twain quote that I gave you. So in a nutshell, that's kind of all that we went over. And again, like I said, uh, it takes a few iterations of this. Uh, it's best to schedule in this work just as you would um, uh, the new kind of routines and, and habits and and actions that you're going to be taking over the next couple of weeks uh, through that habits exercise. It's best to kind of try to schedule in the work that you have to do around around these sessions um, uh, because it feels like a lot, but it's it's actually not a lot. And once you get going on it, you'll find that it just kind of comes naturally to you. But the habits part is key. The habits part is key. So you can do all of the work in session one and two, but unless you're actively trying to make that work stick through some sort of routinization, through some sort of self-awareness of when you're at your best and when you're at your worst, and when and how you need to integrate new habits into your life, you're going you're gonna to find yourself in that, uh, in that same state that, uh, that I described at the beginning, where, you know, <laughs> a couple months from now, you're looking at all of these lists and notes and things like this, and you're just wondering, you know, why can't I stay motivated enough to do this? You know, why don't I have self-discipline to pull this off? What's going on here? And a lot of times it's just because um, you're maybe using up your willpower a little bit too much in trying to think about how to achieve this stuff and you need to automize some of it. So with all that in mind, dear listeners, I wish you a happy and productive 2017. Um, go forth and uh, stay tuned to the podcast for next time uh, when I will be uh, returning with an interview with another awesome person in two weeks time thank you you can find the resources mentioned during this episode at togetherworking.com slash the working together podcast all one word and if you'd like to receive the weekly working together review where i share interesting finds and actionable insights about teamwork facilitation skills social innovation cooperatives behavioral economics strategy political theory 
and a whole bunch of other stuff, you can sign up at togetherworking.com. 